Welcome to Movie Maker Interviews. I'm Eric Stoyer. Today on the show, we've got Alexander Nanau. He's the director of a new documentary called Collective. It's one of the best movies I've seen this year, easily. In 2015, a fire at a nightclub in Bucharest, Romania, killed more than two dozen people. And over the next few weeks and months, dozens more who had been injured in, in the fire died too. Some of those people had only gone into the hospital with relatively minor injuries, and it turns out that a rotten-to-the-core, corrupt system was at fault. In Collective, Nenau introduces us to a group of journalists at a sports newspaper who investigate the story and uncover corruption among politicians, healthcare execs, and criminals who have let extremely weak, diluted disinfectants make their way into Romanian hospitals, causing these deaths. You can send me a note, eric at moviemaker.com. Let me know if you've got ideas for guests for the show or if there are movies, new movies, old movies, things you think we should be seeing, things you think we should be talking about. And uh, now let's hear from Alexander Nanau. Uh, can you can you contextualize the initial protests against authorities that um, that that came after the fire at the at the collective nightclub? So what what were the other events and circumstances that led to people organizing and getting in the streets to protest? So basically, b- before this fire happened, there were a lot of um, corruption scandals around the uh, members of the government, uh, and so the the tension in the in a, a society was pretty high already. Uh, but the fire and the fact that it was a popular club that was functioning without fire exits and that uh, killed so many um, young people uh, really led to a national tragedy because everybody became aware that this club could not function if there were not bribes paid to the firemen to authorize it to function. Uh, And in a way, it became the fury of the people, it became a fury against the whole political class because they, they in a way, you know, inject all the time the society with so much corruption uh, that the young generation for the first time understood, okay, wait a minute, it's not really about them stealing our fund, our public funds and our money. Uh, it's, they're really killing us now. So, and that led to the biggest demonstration since the revolution, since 89. And authorities told the public right from the start, um, in particular, they told the families of the young people that were the victims of the fire that they were getting better care in Romanian hospitals than they would anywhere else. And so they wouldn't be transferred out of the country for care. So in in addition to the corruption that's uncovered, um, how much of the reason for keeping people in Bucharest had to do with local pride? And so not necessarily a a financial incentive directly, but sort of like this local pride and refusal to admit that the country's medical system was not equipped to deal with these kinds of injuries. It's hard to say, you know, how much it was national pride, how much uh, it was incompetence uh, and how much it was corruption, because basically they knew, as we see in the film, that the hospitals in Romania have the most lethal hospital uh, infections. Uh, they knew that burn patients will get infected in no time in a normal hospital, that burn patients have to be transferred to, to burn units. Um, and so it's hard to say why a whole, you know, the authorities together with the doctors organ- in an organized way decided to lie to everybody and to the parents and say we can save everybody, knowing that many of these people will die. 
And how did you hear about um, Katalin Tolentan and the other journalists who are working on the story? Because you seem to have gotten in with them from the very beginning as, as they were working on this. Right. So, I mean, in the first days after the fire, the whole Romanian press failed really badly because they didn't uh, question what the authorities were, were telling everybody. Uh, but Katalin Tolentan and his team were and are pretty famous uh, investigative journalists, but they were active in the sports world. They really brought down sports ministers that had to go to jail and so forth. Uh, and it was for the first time that they felt they have now to use their knowledge in the healthcare system because nobody else did it. So because they were the first ones who after three or four days started to uncover all the lies or the first lies, because afterwards we see in the film what else they uncover, uh, we, we thought that an observational film would be most interesting to see about uh, what's going on in society through the eyes of, of these investigative journalists. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly notable that the reporting on the story came from a daily sports paper, as you say. So um, not necessarily who'd expect to be covering this kind of thing, although definitely the skills of investigative reporting are transferable from one subject area to the other. But uh, can, can you talk a little bit about what the media climate is like in Romania and why, and why this story may not have been covered at all if it were not for this, this sports daily? Many of the TV broadcasters and the media outlets are in the hands of um, the one or the other power. So they are always, in a way, um, you know, they are friendly to, to, to the power, let's say. Uh, it is very hard to have really um, independent reporting, but you have a very large group of young investigative journalists that work on their, in their independent platforms and that bring out the corruption day by day. But it, you can't rely anymore in Romania on TV broadcasters because even now during the pandemic, what the government did, they, they said, you know, for example, the Romanian government did, didn't try to save the cultural world at all. They didn't put money into it. But they opened a huge fund for TV broadcasters. So in, in a way, they just bribed them. So right now, the TV broadcasters, I would say, from top down, are you can't, you can't rely on them. You can only rely on investigative young journalists on their uh, independent platforms. And Tolontan, in the meantime, leads a big newspaper where he builds many investigative teams into, uh, in many different uh, you know, uh, topics on, yeah, that are investigating different topics. And what's public sentiment like towards journalists in the media? I mean, you show a lot in the film that suggests that there's the public, uh, there's, there's an element of the public, particularly young people who are quite glad to have this layer out there that's investigating these, these stories. But that also seems to be plenty of people, and maybe they're mostly on TV. You, you mentioned um, that, that TV broadcasting is sort of its own separate world. Uh, but there seem to be plenty of people that, that seem to want journalists just to kind of shut up and stop talking about what's bad and stop digging into these stories. It's 100%, you know, when I start reading the comments online uh, on whatever happens now in the States, it is one-to-one -one as the climate in Romania. Like people that say, oh yeah, Tolontan, he's, uh, you know, he's a sold bastard. Uh, others that praise him, then with other journalists, the same. Uh, some that watch uh, uh, TV broadcasters as Fox News that you can also see in the film where Tolontan is in the studio. Uh, and love it and think that they, they provide the truth, but educated people know that it's such a big manipulation that it's unspoken of, you know, you can't watch it. So 
it's exactly the same climate. And I guess it's the same climate in, in more and more countries now around the world. Seems like it. Um, because you make observational documentaries and what you do requires a certain type of access that allows you to be there for some pretty intimate moments. What are the practical kinds of things that you do to ensure that when you're in the room filming, you're not the focus and, and making yourself invisible even? I think that it has a lot to do with the way you build up a relationship to, to the characters. And for sure, it's very hard for, most of all, for grown-ups to be filmed by somebody and over a long period of time, you know, I don't know who of us would be comfortable with it. But I, I, I see my job as a director to build a relationship of not only of trust, but where the, the, the um, protagonists really feel that I'm not judging them. Whatever they do, whatever they represent, you know, I'm there to learn from them. I'm there to, you know, to, to understand them and their way of being. Uh, and once this is happening, which is something that you can't really put in words, but it's a, you know, it's, it's a relationship, uh, people tend to forget what you're doing, you know, or that they're there. And that's the best situation for observational because I don't want people to know how I capture things or what I'm just doing while they are doing something. So it's, it's trust. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's knowing that you're making a good faith attempt at capturing the story. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's trust and not being judged. Mm-hmm. So that's the most important. The, uh, the film shifts focus a little bit when the health minister resigns and a new guy, um, Vlad Voiculescu, is uh, brought on to solve some of these problems. And, you know, he's a guy to me who seems like he really wants to do right here. And he started off as a patient's advocate and he uh, seems willing to make some pretty bold calls about how to fix things. But, but from the very beginning, it's also clear to me, at least, that he doesn't really necessarily understand the scale or the depth of this corruption. You know, that he's not that he was naive necessarily, but that there are issues that are just so much bigger and deeper than he'd imagined. Um, yeah, what was your impression of him as a person and, and, and his, his, his course through the film? My impression was that only the fact that, you know, the fact that he was not a politician, the fact that he was really from outside politics and that he didn't owe anything to anybody uh, to, to make the bold move to let us film, first of all. So his main goal was transparency. Uh, but I think that this is, you know, there's this duality because for me, he as a character was important as a character every viewer can identify with in order to ask himself the question, what would I do as a normal citizen with my standard of values if somebody would put me into that position in the middle of this corrupted institution that really can kill people? Um, and for sure, he uh, has the quality of a normal citizen because only a normal citizen could be the first one in a public position to say, no, we could not have treated the patients. Yes, we killed them because it was a political decision and we lied. The government lied. Uh, a politician would never say that. And in that regard, sure, it is naive in a way. We perceive it as naive, but... I also think that what I was very surprised about is that people are asking when we were showing the film in any country, be it France, be it uh, Switzerland, like how, why would somebody let you film in a ministry? And that shows me that people 
in a way, lost even the sense of normality. It is normal to, in a, you know, to be transparent. That's normality should be that we are allowed to know what is going on in institutions that we own. They are our institutions. But all around the world, the reaction was the same. Like People feel like they are sneaking into something that's not their business. So I think here's a, you know, the problem in a way that we are also, we were educated to, to think about authorities as uh, this different world that we should not question, we should not have access to. Um, and that's the beautiful thing about showing a character like him in the film, I think that it really, as you say, because I have the same feeling like, okay, can you do politics with this naivety? Is that the recipe? No, it's not. You have to be really strong and powerful in order to change the system. When you when you mentioned that um, people's expectations about what's normal have changed, it makes me think of a scene with the doctor who has shot this the absolutely horrible video of uh, maggots crawling on a patient's open wound, and she explains to uh, Voykolescu. Um, how such a thing could happen. I mean, she talks in practical terms about how corruption within a single hospital works on an operational level. And that, you know, that culminates with him uh, sort of being like, how could this happen? And she, and she has this moment, which I imagine is going to be one of the iconic moments of the film. She says, that, you know, like my mother says, we're, we're no longer human. Um, in the course of making the film, I imagine you would thought about this idea a lot, that it's actually that people, that there's, it's become normalized for people to have become less connected to each other, less connected to their own roles and responsibilities, whether that's in their job or in society generally. Um, do you think that there's truth in what she was saying, that, that, that people have become less human? Uh, I think that it's not only true, so I think it's, um, it's even worse than that. Uh, and I think that for me, one of the revelations was that I realized I am seeing in real life what Hannah Arendt uh, wrote about. I, I think it's, it's, it's a perfect representation of people hiding behind a system and not seeing the other fellow humans uh, as, um, as humans anymore. Mm -hmm. you know, it's it, in Hannah Arendt's uh, The Banality of Evil. That's where we are now, again, in the banality of evil, because the, the way we see that the film connects with all the audiences around the world and people identify it, I think that what they identify with is that they lost total control over their lives. There's a system that some people hide behind. And in a way, our countries and democracies, even the most developed democracies, were taken over uh, by a bunch of imposters that uh, hijacked power and became really right now not not only a life threat but they they are just killing us uh, and that is I think the yeah humanity that's what she means when she says we are not human anymore she refers to doctors but I think we have it on all layers of society right now. Yeah, the the relationship between uh, that that personal accountability and then the, the 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 systems that people work inside of and, and and how sometimes they're actually working to protect and to perpetuate the systems themselves. I mean, it it reminded me of um, a, a question I had about the layer of corruption that's it exists directly within the management structure of the hospitals. That, that it's like these administrators, these individual guys like uh, Florine Securano. 
um, who are making decisions that are mostly about enriching themselves personally. And I mean, you you definitely portray uh, this in the film, but I was wondering if you could explore a little bit more how much this is not something that's isolated with individuals like him. I mean, there's there's that problem as well, but that it's something that's sort of a, a widespread systemic issue. It's a systemic issue so far that everybody in the meantime, or most of the people seem to choose between uh, having personal gains, be it also just having adva- little advantages over truth. And it perpetuates itself. Uh, so, yeah, that's how, how I perceive, you know, the systematic uh, gro- you know, growing of, of, of the inhumanity. Uh, but at the same time, I think that there are many people that want to speak up. There are, ma- there are many people that want to be- stay integral and stay vertical. And the fact that we see also in the story how one whistleblower changed the course of the Romanian uh, story of 2016, and that was courageous enough to open up to journalists, and that you had trustworthy journalists that worked as dodgy as this journalist to really take down the lies of the government, that gives me hope. I mean, I think it's never, you know, it's never black or white. I don't think that things like such a system will prevail uh, uh, and will manage to, I don't know, to take everything over. As we have seen in history, these bleak times always have also a reverse, you know, go back. Speaking of hope, um, can you can you talk a little bit about Teddy Ursuleano, who she is and why you decided to focus a good part of the film on her? Um, Teddy, in a way, we had to take a decision because we talked to more victims and we filmed also, we start, when we started, we also filmed with two, three more victims and then we focused on, on Teddy as well as we did with other parents. But in a way, Teddy, as the parents, became for, for us uh, a symbol of all the other ones because Teddy seemed to have this mixture of all the um, character, parts of a character that uh, decides not to let her life be destroyed until the end by what happened or by, by the wrongdoings of other people. And that had... In a way, I feel that all characters I know were outsiders that say, I'm going to stay true to myself. And the same thing happens with Teddy, in a way. She's like, I am who I am. I'm different on the outside now. But I will not let the rest of my life be governed by what other people did to me. Um, And with the parents, the same, you know, the, the pain that parents feel when somebody kills your child intentionally and not like just somebody, but a group of people that have power, like a politician, a hospital manager, organized together with the doctor that is treating your child, decided uh, that they have no problem to lie to you, to prohibit you to, to, to bring your child to a proper burn unit and to kill your, your child. This pain is so deep that it doesn't matter. You, know, you, you cannot show three or four parents because the, the pain is so deep and undescribable that one is enough to understand what is going on in, 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 in a parent in, in such a situation. There's a, a moment towards the end of the film when the, the journalists confront the fact that there may be people out there who 
want to try to harm them or their families in retaliation for having done this investigative work. Uh, was this something that you in turn also had to worry about because you're making this film that's amplifying this story? So as, as uh, Kathleen says, you know, these menaces are in a way uh, uh, normal, let's say for them, you know, uh, cars are in front of the houses or following them or, um, but we are still living in Romania, which is part of the U European Union. So it's not Russia, it's not China. Nevertheless, sure, also during the filming, I knew, for example, that the Secret Service was taping my phone, which they might still do. Uh, and I was not a physically afraid of what they're going to do to us. I was maybe more afraid of what will follow when the film comes out because of this mob that appears in the film. Uh, but I was afraid that somebody would break into our studio to get our footage. But the thing is that, you know, we are a professional production. We, we knew how to organize uh, and, and get our footage secured so that nobody can damage the, the production. Uh, and um, yeah, so uh, I don't think that I was ever afraid that they would do something to me during production. And there's another thing to it. In Romania, you know, the documentary culture is not as, let's say, wide as in the States, you know, where Laura Poitras was such a, uh, such a big problem for the government. So basically, I don't think that anybody really took me seriously. Alexander Nanau, thank you for joining us. Collective is a truly, truly great documentary. I hope everyone sees it. It's, uh, it's got a lot to say about the world we live in, no matter where you live. Thank you very much for having me. All right, thanks for listening to Movie Maker Interviews. Uh, you can check us out online at moviemaker.com where we post stories about movie making every day. And uh, Movie Maker is a print magazine as well. It's been around for years. It's excellent. It is about the art and craft of movie making. If this is something that is of interest to you, you should be a subscriber. You can follow us at Movie Maker Mag on social media and subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and say a nice thing or two about us while you're there. We'll be back soon with another episode of Movie Maker Interviews, and I hope you'll be there to join us. Until then, take care of yourselves.